Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 10 of Playboys. Myself, Dean, as always, joined again by Alex and the returning PJ. Hello, guys. Hello there. Oi. We got uh, three of us. And guys, which play are we doing today? We're doing... What are we doing? Drum rolling. Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> and the, I don't know if we there was some sort of setup there that I was supposed to follow or... <laughs> Just drums rolling in your head, guys. So it's it, it's the Taming of the Shrew, guys. It's We have been fearing this play, to be honest, but it must be done as it's in your GAC. Um, the A-level uh, curriculum, yeah. So, so we're gonna, I'm going to make the Apologies. joke. So, so I hear you're a sexist now, PJ. Ah, uh, the far Ted joke there, right there. <laughs> no, guys, look, we're going to just give the disclaimer before we start. And we're going we're gonna to try to be brief with this one um, because none of us were like massively looking forward to covering it. Um, <laughs> but... I, I'm, I'm actually quite fond of play. Would we would we call this okay. a problem play? Would we think that's that's fair? Yeah, a, a problem play in many senses. In well, many senses, problem play doesn't really mean like it has problematic elements. It's more that it's a problem to classify. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or at I least mean, this is this is your problematic extent. elements. Then this is maybe slightly different. But this one, uh, yeah. this is uh, tough going for the modern reader at, at times. It is indeed, yeah. I mean, like, um, I, I was a bit surprised that they're showing this at school because it must be the most outdated play ever um, from Shakespeare. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's also got some of the worst reviews that I've seen just, you know, online of people, re- <laughs> re- you know, reviewing the plays and things. Alex, from, from the perspective of someone who's actually watched the, not just read them, but like watched them all and looked at those kinds of reviews, is it still getting the worst? <laughs> um. So I watched a very specific one and... So what they did was they gender bent it. And so the women were played by men and the men were played by women. And it really made the problems with this play stick out. Um, like you can kind of go into it in today's mindset and see like a man treating a woman this way and be like, yeah, that's comedy. But when you see it, the opposite of a woman treating a man this way, you're like, there is a problem with this. Let's figure out why. And then reading it again yeah. this time, I'm like, yeah, this this is really bad. The whole play's a problem. I mean, I read this years ago, <laughs> and I think at that time, you know, maybe we were just being a little bit younger or whatever, and I'm being around the age of the people who are studying this. I, I Obviously, I knew it was bad, but I thought it was almost so ridiculous as to be funny. <laughs> so I wasn't laughing at the jokes. I was laughing at the ridiculousness of the play. But this time, I couldn't even do that. I was just like, no, this is too much. <laughs> I feel like they are I, trying to, or Shakespeare was trying to do something more satirical here and i can see that a bit because there's no reason for uh kate to be this way to be so 
I don't know, hateful at times, but also when she's treated the way she's treated, I, I completely understand. Yeah. So look, let's give the 10 second summary of this play. Essentially man wants to marry, you know, to marry girl crushes her into submission and the happy ending is that it works. You know, the, the happy ending yep. is not that she resists. Well, look, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give a, a controversial opinion. I, I actually, uh, I like the play to be honest. And look, there are two ways to look at this play. Either it's a very sexist, outdated play, or either it's a, either, as you were saying, Alex, it's a satire mm. on, on play. Mm. You see, this is Elizabethan time. This is the 1590s. And that was a very, that's a, that's a turning point in English history. And you can see it in the plays written at that time, not just mm. with, with Shakespeare, also Marlowe. And I, I don't believe that Shakespeare could have written, um, you know, Roman Juliet a year later, approximately. Of course, no one is sure how when he wrote yeah, yeah. these plays. But I don't think this is his opinion. This is literally the, the characters are vile at the end, completely yeah, vile at the end. It's, it's kind too of like, much of a parody. They're trying to he's trying to do like what he did with John Falstaff a little bit in like Mary Wives of Windsor, which is also quite disliked by a lot of Shakespeare mm-hmm. fans. But um I will say this play is fantastically written in that it's very easy for me to get through it is oh, yeah. it has some really good quick wit in it like there are certainly parts that i like whereas like the story last time when we were doing oh man what was that winter's tale winter's tale yeah that is just a mess yeah this one knows what story it wants to tell and it creates very smart interesting characters however there's always going to be that part of me like yeah this is completely immoral and against all ethics i have i can't get into it as much Mm. i think i would agree entirely done more satirical hey it might actually be better someone i talked to said that this is their favorite uh comedy Mm -hmm. well i i thought that a long time ago but look, let's uh, let's quickly mention the the Germanus persona, right? So who is actually in this play? So in terms of the the main character, I suppose let's start with the shrew herself, right? Katharina, and she has her sister Bianca. So we've got two two sisters and their father and um, Baptista, and you know some suitors will come to Baptista and ask to marry the two sisters, effectively. Um, well, the the youngest one actually, effectively the youngest Bianca one, it, to begin, one. <laughs> yeah, to begin with, yes. until until Petruchio. Um, a gentleman of Verona, then obviously he wants to go with Katharina. But all the previous suitors um, have been interested, you know, uh, so uh, Gremio and and Hortensio and so forth, they've all been interested in the the beautiful and less shrewish um, Bianca, right? She's supposed to be the prize. Um, You know, beyond that small kind of main cast of characters, we've got like a few servants and and, and people like that, Tranio and and Biondello and just a few, you know, minor characters. But really the core cast of characters is pretty small. Hmm. Uh, You forgot Lucentio. Lucentio, yes, yes, yes. So that's Lucentio and his dad, Vincenzo. So so it's very important to mention that Bianca has uh, three suitors who basically want to be with her. And Lucentio is the one who arrives to town. But so they try to find someone who will actually court the elder one because the idea is that the father doesn't want to give away the youngest daughter because the oldest daughter has to be married first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then so let's then... talk about the most important characters of all. Uh, Christopher Sly, the, the tinker and the, the very the various assortments. I of... love 
<laughs> that intro. Mm. Like, I forget, they call it induction in this? Induction, uh, exactly. induction yeah. Yeah, that is really fun. Like, hey, this this guy's drunk. We're going to treat him like he's royalty and just have a laugh. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a, I mean, look, there's a lot can... of talk. Go ahead, BJ. There's a lot of talk about the induction because Shakespeare didn't really do induction so much. He did plays within plays as in, as in Hamlet. But, yeah. um, but the induction here is something that was used by other playwrights. The idea is that perhaps Shakespeare was distancing himself from the play, from the morality of the play by doing an induction. Uh, that's the, that's a theory that's widespread and kind of like that might works. make sense. Yeah, yeah that works. If it came yeah. back more often and it was like a sly wanted more but going Alex, on, we know like that Shakespeare doesn't know how to write a chorus, right? And that that problem stands to <laughs> the induction. Well, all the, and, and the problem is as well, interesting they mentioned Alex, because the problem is that all Shakespeare plays would have been seen back then. So it's very Christopher Sly is a very central character. He's always there in the background. But you forget that when reading, so it's it's not really a play. Sure, he's yeah. there, but he might as well not be for the second half of the play. Yeah, yes. I mean, I don't. I would not. I would be surprised if a production of this had him on stage watching the whole time. I feel like that's not even yeah. happening, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, in in theory, he's watching, you know. But I, yeah. I feel like you he shows up one extra that. time in the play. But if you yeah, had him yeah, briefly. throughout, that could actually be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, he shows up basically at the end of the first scene for like two or three lines, and then that's it. And this is how Shakespeare treats his chorus generally. And this induction is essentially similar to how he uses a chorus, and he doesn't know how to use a chorus, and um, the induction is pointless, <laughs> you know. But again, as you say, maybe the point of it is this idea about setting it with, you know, one step away from reality. And that's fine if, as you say, it had come back maybe between every every act or something like that. But it doesn't. It just disappears. Like, yeah, you are correct saying that it's pointless. However, it is the best Shakespeare's ever done with it, I feel. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is fun. It is enjoyable. You know, it is enjoyable. It's sad that it doesn't come back. You know, it's better than yeah, his, his other attempts. <laughs> And, you know, uh, Shakespeare does like to uh, make um, a point that this is a play. So it does the whole play within the play, you know, very, very importantly in Hamlet, right? Where Hamlet sees his own father being murdered in a public play. So he likes, uh, Shakespeare likes to play around with this notion of what's what's real, breaking the fourth wall. So in sure, a sense, that's Midsummer quite, does the that's same quite, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, quite, so yeah. shall we give the quick kind of 30 second what actually happens? The summary is that it's very simple, guys. The three lads, the three suitors, want to be with Bianca, so they find a way mm-hmm. to... They, they basically search for someone to marry Katharina first. And they find they find this man who's quite... Um, well, he's a horrible man, in fact. And um, uh, basically... Um, the, 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 uh, uh, sorry. I'm forgetting the name now, guys. Petruchio. 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 And Petruchio basically, um, he convinces the dad that he will marry Katerina and he does all he can. He's very shrewd himself. And although Katerina is, is, is against this idea of marrying him, he just ignores her completely and then carries her off, literally, figuratively, out of stage into, the, into their home. And in the meantime, the suitors, they try to get together with Bianca. And um, that's basically the story. There's some good quick wit there, but then Petruccio or Petruccio, he's just after money. We know that yeah. he lives yeah. in a place that's pretty run down. He has servants, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. And so he just wants money 
forces her to marry him against her will. She absolutely hates him. And yeah, he spends most of the play breaking her in a way. But yeah, for the induction, I guess, uh, Dean, you might be able to do it better, but there's a drunk guy who passes out and a lord and some servants show up and see him. And they basically say, huh, let's let's play a prank on him and clean him up, dress him like royalty, treat him like Vincent, that. he's a and, lord, yeah. Yeah, treat him like a lord. But look, let's, the induction, yeah. I mean, basically that happens. They sit down and they say, we put on a play for you. Here's the play. And the play is the Timing of the Shrew. So the induction is yeah. separate, essentially. That doesn't really come back again. So other than a few lines. So let's let's talk about the actual play. We start then. We open Act 1, Scene 1. We're in a public place and we've got um, Lucentio. So, I mean, Act 1, Scene 1, I suppose really what it's doing is it's setting the scene for what we're going to see in the play. So we've got Lucentio, we've got, we've got Tranio, and then we move over and we've got, we've got the two girls, um, we've got you know, Bianca and, and Katharina and their father, B- um, B- Baptista, as well. So I suppose that the, the key thing that I take from this act is um, they're talking, and at one point Hortensio and, and Gremio are essentially talking about we need to get um, a suitor for Katharina. Because there's this idea, essentially, that Baptista wants Katharina to be married before he will let Bianca get married. And that's the ongoing theme throughout the play. The older daughter should be married first by some arbitrary rule that he's decided on. Um, And so we get them saying, you know, things like they compared her to rotten apples and they say, you know, she's a husband, a husband, a devil. I say a husband, I say a devil. And they say, you know, it would have to be a devil to take this shrew, essentially. Like no one, no normal happy man is going to come in and marry Katarina. That's effectively the, the rhetoric of this scene. Exactly. And yeah, so the next scene goes in. So they find, they do find someone, as we mentioned earlier, who kind of, uh, he's just looking for, for money. So as long as he knows he's getting the money, he doesn't mind what kind of woman it is. And he, there's a lot of comparison again to him and to the woman and, and all the battles he's been through, all the difficulties of life, you know, of natural forces that went against him. And no woman will ever would ever stop that. So it really takes the challenge on, and he is. Um, I mean, I think there is a lot to the. I think there's a lot to the character in the sense that he is quite uh, out of his mind, isn't he? He's quite out of his mind because he just. He, he, as we know, as on later, he also he also says a lot of things that don't make sense. So I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of reason for him actually being insane. So I, he does this. I think he's doing it on purpose. To what? What do you think he's doing purpose as to control her? Yeah, right? Yeah. He's doing that's, the that's exact opposite. Like, yeah. yeah, you see the moon? No, it's the sun. No, it's the moon. And yeah, you know, it's it's the like it's the 1984 trick. You know, you hold up three fingers and you tell me it's two and I'll I'll basically torture yeah. you until yeah. you tell me it's two. You know, yeah. that's what he's doing. Mm. Yeah, interesting analogy. Yeah. 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 And it's quite sad, right? Because it's just she basically becomes um well, she becomes submissive at, at some point because she quite literally gets well starved and she doesn't get proper clothes and she gets insulted and it becomes very difficult to read i i, I really enjoyed the beginning of the play to be honest i think it's mm. quite witty but there comes that scene scene um, act four i mean um act four where they're they're already married now and mm. it does become a bit uh, difficult to read at, at, at that yeah. point that's the hardest part for me i would say for me it's right 
before they get married mm. when it's like i don't love this guy and then petruccio says oh she's just saying that because we're in public if yeah we that's were, quite a, that's crazy yeah that's a tricky scene but let's we'll get we'll get to that in a second anyway I mean, anyway, is yeah. there anything else to cover, like anything important to cover in Act 1? I mean, I, I suppose Act 1 is two scenes. Scene 1 just kind of introduces well, that main theme. And... There is something very important to mention. Something that's very big in Twelfth Night and um, Midsummer Night's Dream. So a confusion of identities and deliberate confusion of identities. So um, for some reason, I don't find this too clear. Lucentio decides to not show <laughs> himself to Bianca and her father, and he makes his um, he makes his servant, his manservant, Etranio, dress up as himself, while he pretends yes. to be Cambio, the the literature teacher, which literature, literally means yeah. change in uh, Latin and Spanish. So it's an interesting name to use there. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's have, an appropriate uh, name. Yeah, that's, you should have essentially guessed Baptista that <laughs> something was wrong. I, I just love I, that once they dress up, no, you know, even people that you've seen before in these plays, they're just like, well, I have no idea who this is. He's put on a, a hat and a mustache, so you know. But, and that's a big Shakespeare <laughs> thing, you know. Like the plays around was this confusion and um, people changing identities. And Twelfth Night is the absolute perfect um, play for that because they switch, mm. they switch genders as well. I, lo- I love that play, uh, but here it's done a bit as well. And this is an earlier play as well. So here, I think perfect. it's it's more about changing class. Right, the servant's going to look more like a servant, whereas Lucentio is going to look more like a lord. So, yeah, yeah, that seems to be the main thing—not really disguising face or anything like that. And interesting yeah, how yeah. relevant class is, right? Because class seems to literally make everyone blind. I mean, okay, so like, yeah. you know, it just oh, that can't be him because he just he's dressed like a lord, so it just can't be that manservant I might have seen yesterday. Just can't be. <laughs> so yeah, it but- is a farce, but it does play with reality truths yeah the only part of lucentio's plan here that i understand is that he wants to get close to bianca and that's why he becomes the tutor (laughs) however this whole this plan has so many holes oh this is a ridiculous plan (laughs) yeah it is yeah like it's it's... i'm gonna make sure my servant tries to get her father to marry me but my servant's gonna act like me and then profit i don't know <laughs> yeah question mark question mark step five profit it doesn't really yeah <laughs> exactly so those there's a bit of um it's, it's not it's not the it isn't in the end the best plot of this play from shakespeare but it does lead to, to some very comical moments i did laugh out loud two or three times mm-hmm. in this play which there I don't are some always... funny moments yeah 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 I mean, I mean, even at the beginning like, of Act One, Scene Two, we get little jokes between Patricio and Gremio where they talk about knocking on the gate, and it's like, "Knock me soundly," and you know, "I'll knock yeah. you here," and he's going to knock him you know, on the head, essentially, and it's a lot of that kind of going around, just kind of wordplay. So, little bits like that to remind you that this is a comedy, and to get a little chuckle from time to time. They do know. do that a bit. Even later on in the play, it's like, uh, "Take this gap, ga- take my wife's gown," and it's like, "You want me to do what with her gown? Not <laughs> this is your wife." Uh, yeah, <laughs> not so, that gown. Uh, in fact, that, yeah, that's uh, that's that's one of the strong points of the play. I find the 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 playing around with language and that confusion, mm. and I find it's um, it, it's a great play for that. Um, it's, yeah. it's 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 the comedy of errors, but the comedy of errors perfected that I would say. But and the comedy of errors probably was written around the same time, if not in the same year. But nevertheless, it, it tried to do that. I find with the language. Yeah. 
Do you mean well, the brother Menachmi perfected it? <clears throat> Sorry, <yes. laughs> I'm never going to get over that. <laughs> shall we? Shall we move to Act Two then? What do we? What do we think about Act Two? So I guess we open Scene One with Bianca and Katerina, um, and when Baptista is there as well. But we essentially have a conversation with the two sisters, and we get to mm. see what Katerina's really like because she strikes Bianca. Like you know, it's twenty lines in, she strikes her. That's that's her character, right? That's you know, we, they, they paint the tone. We're not supposed to like Katarina. She's rough. She's aggressive from the, the beginning. Problematic scene, I suppose, because, um, you know, because the feminist is trying to defend this place somehow by making Katarina like an individual woman. Yet nevertheless, she is, she has also this touch of insanity, really, to be striking her sister. But I suppose I could, you could also see it like an act of absolute frustration, absolute frustration about her whole, her whole, her whole sex being so tame and she's trying to really strike out literally to all the women yeah it's like yeah. so that's another way have a it. personality be somebody don't just be what these men tell you to be exactly. then we see her i mean act two only has one very long scene of 400 lines um and as it goes on and on you know then petruccio is is introduced katarina stri- tries to strike him at one point as well so you know yeah she's this this shrewish character and as you say like maybe it's because of how she's been treated or whatever but what do we think of the My, initial interaction between Katarina and Petruccio in Act Two? Honestly, fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's one of the scenes that I I have to take a look at because, like, so Petruccio says, "Alas, good Kate, I will not burden thee for knowing thee to be but young and light." She says, "Too light for such a swain as you to catch, and yet as heavy as my weight should be, should be, should buzz, well, tame and like a buzzard." Oh, slow winged turtle, shall a buzzard take thee? And just the good back and forth there. Like, that's my favorite scene in the entire play. Mm, and as you mentioned, it is also disturbing then because later on it's a bit disturbing in the sense of that he 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 doesn't want to... Well, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry, guys. Well, I just skipped ahead now. So the next scene is basically that the, that the father is asking, sorry, you guys going to marry? And he pretends nothing of that ever happens. But again, it just shows you how, how strong men were also in, in class, right? So if this is a mm-hmm. play about society, that doesn't matter what the woman said, even if it's your own daughter, this man said this. So the daughter is obviously raving mad. I mean, it's also just it, the whole play could be seen as a very strong meta, meta, feminist play in the sense of, well, women have no voice here um, at all. And it's been done also in, um, it's, been all, it's been also done to some extent in, um, in Greek plays as well. I mean, the theme is always there. So I find that very strong. And as you say, Alex, very disturbing because it could, this could be the plot of a very disturbing psychological thriller or horror film where the woman just like, you know, I'm crazy. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm crazy that the man says this and that. And it's been, the theme has been used for films. Yeah. And that's why I think the Royal Shakespeare Company switched uh, the men and women parts. Yes. Because they wanted to point out, like, all right, this is not okay, and it's using it for that purpose. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good way of doing it, actually. I think that's a very a very tactical move. Um, normally, I don't like changing the plays, but with this one, I think that someone needs to say something about it. <laughs> I think that that's maybe a very good way to do it. We'll have to have a talk they... about Beckett later, but... <laughs> actually, no, I love it because they did the same for Twelfth Night, we just mentioned. They switched the genders around again, so it makes it uh, very confusing because they're very changed around in the Shakespeare play. Mm. I love mm. the Shakespeare plays are so organic, so you can do a lot 
with almost all of them. You can really you can really mess around a lot. So, guys, the only other thing I want to take from Act Two is, I mean, you you already touched on it there actually, but the the bit where essentially Baptiste is being told by Petruchio, like, yeah, it's grand, we're gonna get married. I've just spoken to Katerina, it's all fine. She doesn't make that many protests. I mean, she says, I would sooner see you hanged, right, than, than marry. Um, but no one kind of pays any attention to that. And then, you know, Patricia just says, yeah, no, don't worry, we're grand. And that's it. She doesn't say, oh, by the way, dad, no, this is nonsense. I don't want to marry him. Like, at no point does she then, that's it. She just goes along with it somehow. I, I think she says a little bit, like, at the time of the wedding. A little bit maybe later, maybe like, at the wedding, yeah. Three. But well, I have this I problem find... a lot. They don't resist enough in these plays. No, I, I think personally, um, I think she does. She does all she can, but there's there's a limit to how much she can do. And eventually she kind of gives in to the whole language tyranny her husband um, makes her do. Mm. I, I think she does, but it's, always, it's maybe not enough, but because she realizes also that she's not being heard. Maybe she's a lot smarter than we initially think she is. And she actually realizes she's not she's not crazy. She just realizes that uh, no one listens to her. So she actually stops after a few strikes, a few protests. It won't make any difference. Although we haven't touched on it, but yeah, my favorite thing that she does do, like just to get at these people is she basically takes a loot and bashes it over a guy's head. Exactly. Yeah. That is probably my favorite gag in the entire thing. <laughs> Yes, there's not a bit necessarily where they say, relevant to what we were talking about, but there's some wordplay though where they mention, you know, have you broken her to the loot yet or something? And he says, yeah, she's she's broken the loot on me or something. Like there's a little bit of <laughs> wordplay there, you know. So it is. Yeah, and when when doing the play, you actually see the actor come out with a loot around their neck. Like, <laughs> really, it is a good. great visual gag. It, well, again, really relevant. Just saying to everyone there that even though I love reading Shakespeare, it wasn't meant to be read. So really yes. you should see watch Shakespeare even be there that's what it was written for that's what that might lead to some confusion as well during the writing or even the humor mm. might be lost it's it's a very visual thing mm. very, yeah so let's move to act three guys um act three I mean these are all quite short acts act three has two scenes the first one's not even 100 lines mm. you know the second scene ends a little bit longer but um 250 lines I think the plays were flying through the play, you know, and that's the thing about this play. This play is it flows very, very quickly. Actually, I think. Hmm. Yes, I mean it's. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I still think I just mentioned it. For example, that the comedy of errors is even faster paced, even more yeah. joy. But but the taming the shoe, I find there are a lot of similarities. Taming the shoe is just a slightly less perfect play, but it is. It's very easy to read. It's, it's very readable. Um, yeah, it, it's. I just find Act Three. It's. It's. What What do you think of Act Three? Um, well, see, Scene One on... is just a music lesson, but Scene Two is where the action really mm-hmm. happens. Then in Act in Act Three, um, exactly. And I suppose this is where we we get to the um, the wedding. Essentially, this is where where Katerina marries Petruchio, and afterward, you know, again, you say she resists, and she maybe she says a few things, but I, you know. If it comes down to you know saying your I do's, you know she goes along with it at the end of the day, um, and they get they're married. That's true. Yeah. And and I mean, it was expected for her by her father, and yeah, yeah there, she was in a tough spot. There wasn't much that she really could have said. Even if she said no, what would have happened then? Well, yeah, that's the question. Maybe yeah. maybe not a lot. Maybe she would have married off anyway. You know, but there's an interesting part here where now we see Petruchio's plan really towards the end of this act. Because 
they want to, I guess, celebrate, have a bit of a bit of a honeymoon or a bit of a post-wedding feast or whatever it is, reception, you know, that kind of stuff. And Petruccio was kind of like, yeah, well, um, we're going. We're not even kind of going to stay for dinner. That's it. And they entreat him to stay. And he says, you know, um, I'm content that you entreat me to stay, but I'm not going to stay. I'm just content to be entreated. And, yeah, and she says, I entreat you. <laughs> exactly. And then we move on to the courting of, um, of Bianca and her three suitors. And it, it, she's just a big contrast to Katerina. She even says at one point, I must believe my master, else I promise you I should be arguing still upon that doubt. Um, she's the contrast and her name again, it's very important, the naming of... Um, yeah, of it means white. Place. Exactly, white. Yeah. But is that, so I mean, and, and superficially, she's this innocent little kind of, I shouldn't even say it. I don't want to, I don't want to say it badly actually, but I suppose this innocent, naive girl but is that, is that always a good thing? And I feel like superficially, yes, she's the beautiful one. And in a feministic, feministic level, she's just, she's strike because she has no character. She must believe her master. She, oh, she gets quite, she gets seduced very easily, I find. Did you get that impression as well? I'm not sure if that's, that's just me reading it. He gets seduced like easily enough, but he does try to, you know, to, to well, bend her to his will. And at the beginning of Act 4, we get some of it in summary form. With just the service well, we're talking about Bianca. Oh, you're talking about Bianca. About Bianca. Yeah. Man. And there yeah. is. So you skipped over it in Act Three, uh, Scene One. You were talking about the music lesson. I exactly. think that's when it was, because this was also the time that uh, Lucentio was teaching her Latin. And while he was teaching her Latin, like, he was saying, "I'm Lucentio. This is what I am." And she says, yes. "I don't know you. I don't trust you." Like between the latin i thought it was clever yeah saying between the latin latin oh yes they, they speak between the latin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know you i don't trust you but keep trying something like that <laughs> i suppose so she's not quite yeah so that yeah. shows some that's yeah but um we want to try and hurry this along so let's spend a few minutes in act four and a few minutes in act five so act four essentially the serve we, we, we have the servants talking about a lot of stuff that we don't see essentially happened off camera the journey there i guess it was a bit arduous patricio was kind of mistreating um Katarina, like along the journey, Grumio describes the whole ordeal of this journey, like the horse falling over and all this kind of stuff. And it all sounds a bit, you know, dirty and, and messy and, and unpleasant of a journey to get to. And that's essentially the, the beginning of like taming her, right? Just e- making her leave immediately after the wedding, going through an arduous journey of actually getting home. And then once they are home, he then starts into how am I really going to mistreat her? Which is, as you said earlier, PJ, she's not allowed proper meals. She doesn't get proper, you know, bedding. And we get the famous phrase, kill her with kindness, which people constantly use wrongly, um, which is not to to be kind, but to to actually be quite horrible and just say that you're being kind. It's it's essentially gaslighting. Mm. And he's constantly saying, you know, all this food isn't good enough for you. It's overcooked or it's whatever. And this bed, this, you know, this pillow is lumpy. You can't have that. And and just take them off her then. And then she's like, too big. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> dress is terrible yeah and i, I want to point this out when people say you know i'll just kill him with kindness but what they mean is be kind i'm like yeah you, that's not what that means <laughs> that means the opposite <laughs> yes exactly yeah. and essentially well, that's that's what act, act four is right that's it's it's basically a uh, it's kind of a torturous scene while at the same time the subplot is developing and um lucentio is about to Mario Bianca, but he has to convince a merchant to be his dad. So again, there's a lot of identity uh, role playing going on. So the merchant pretends to be um, the merchant pretends to be 
Lucentio is that, but Lucentio is being played by his servant. Don't forget. Okay. Yeah, Tranio, that's, isn't it? That's right. it's, uh, yes, is this stuff important to you? You know, for, for, for me, I really cared about the story with Katarina. And then when I would, when I would be reading these bits, I was like, this ah, feels, uh, yeah. this is nonsense. You know, we do really Bianca Lucentio's stuff isn't necessary, is it? It's, it's enjoyable, sorry, but you're right, it's not necessary. Perhaps I thought I thought I thought it was actually more amusing than the than the main plot. Oh really? But yes. Yeah, I, I thought so because it just reminded me of Twelfth Night. I preferred that part of Shakespeare. I thought it was too straightforward. The uh, I, I enjoyed the old uh, gender swapping, identity swapping, class swapping. That for me is 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 in the end more intellectually stimulating, I suppose. It's more classic and, comedy, you know. Anyway, it's yes, more classic I, I, Shakespeare I, comedy, exactly. really. Exactly. Essentially, it's kind of almost like a comic relief, isn't it? Because it's so dark, to be honest. The real story is so dark. I mean, really, it's a tragedy, isn't it? Tell me the truth. That this is a kind of a constant comic relief to make sure that the pe- that women don't start to be hysterical because they're probably identifying themselves as Katerina. That's, that's yeah. what I've... We'll have to I mean, put them into should... some sort of home. Yeah, <laughs> It should be a tragedy, but, you know, the things that happen in it, but sadly, it is a comedy. But we, we finish off Act 4, I guess, if we kind of skip to Scene 5 with the bit you mentioned earlier where he, you know, he convinces her that it's the moon and not the sun or, or the other way around. And, and he basically, she just has to agree with what, what he's saying, essentially. And this is him having tamed her, you know, with, with just by mistreating her, essentially. Well, she still fights back a bit. Like, yeah, whatever you say. It's oh, she's not a bit until snarky to, with him. Like yeah, the yeah. end of Act 5. At this point, she's still a little bit snarky, time. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. We get Vincentio showing up, uh, Lucentio's father. As well, exactly, the actual father. The actual father. father. So this web of lies that's, is just about to like, crash down that, around him. That, that's a great scene. I mean, lock up be said, guys. Again, and and like if you're writing in your exam, do compare it to the other uh, plays that we mentioned, particularly Twelfth Night. Um, all these plays where gender swapping is being used or identity swapping is being used. Yeah. So it's essentially that's uh, that's scene five and. But that's scene five, and it all clears up in the end. Kind of, I feel like it's a bit of a deal. It's like smacking a, nothing really happens. No one gets punished in the end. I don't yeah. find that a, a strong ending. In so. Act 5, scene one, they, so we know that Lucentio and uh, Bianca got married secretly. And they show up and say, hey, we got married and identify themselves. What? <laughs> Like, how yes. are they not getting in trouble for this? Well, they get they get just too strong. You know, the, fa- the both fathers uh, have something strong to say, and that's it. And then we move on to the actual uh, kind of um, what kind mm-hmm. of a th- three part wedding, right? Because we have the two main uh, characters, yeah, Biandello and the widower, and the widow, yeah, Biandello. Her- so yes. one of the one of the suitors basically says, "Well, since I haven't gotten beauty from Bianca, this old widow loves me and has a bit of money. I'll go marry her." And then tries to yes. kind of morally be like, you know, it's not about beauty for me. It's about the kind deeds of this woman. And it's like, well, yeah, after the beautiful one didn't work out, <laughs> then it's very easy to choose the other one. Yep. And again, it and then, shows you a constant theme in this play is money and how money manipulates man, in particular man as a male. Man, yeah. So. What do we think about how, how about the ending then? As we get through Act 5, Scene 2, we, we touch on the ending and we, we close with a big kind of monologue from, from Katarina. It's kind of like an epilogue, almost. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like the ending, but epilogue. But I should also ask, like, PJ, do you want us to even discuss the ending now? I know this is a hang-up that yeah. you have. Yeah. Um, oh. 
no, no, have no. To, we have to talk about the ending this time because oh my god, I hate spoilers, but we have to talk about the ending, guys. So spoilers. The ending, okay. The Let's ending talk about is it. the most critical part of the whole play. It's about her mm-hmm. ultimately. Okay, so the three suitors, they well, the three married men now. They kind of want to see who, which wife is the most obedient, and they do a little play, a game, and they say, "Well, whoever whoever wives come first, we'll call their names, and the wife that uh, abides, um, th- that husband will be the winner." And they don't think it's going to be Katharina, but then it is her. Yes, and yeah. I was very surprised. She's the most tamed woman, and then she gives a lecture essentially to the other woman and to the woman to it in the world that you should be submissive, submissive to man. You should be a good housewife. Now, it's important to to say that sometimes in this stage, this is this is ironically spoken out sarcastically, but sometimes it's also uh, without irony. We, so I think it's clever. I'm just going to give you a one line, two line quote here. But thy husband is thy lord, thy life, thy keeper, thy head, thy sovereign. You know this this from the shrew. You know she has been completely tamed. If you just read this literally without any kind of irony, you know, but completely it also tamed. makes sense for the time period because this is very very Christian. Yeah, wow, well, that's right. That's so nice. final final thoughts. I mean, I because I thought the ending was going to be that she wins, she fights back, and she. But no, she just gets tamed. There's no twist. You know, she just the bad plot just wins. You know, and. I guess at the time people thought this was a spectacular way to end. I don't know. Maybe they thought this was a very virtuous way to treat your women, but uh, it doesn't, it's difficult for me. So the ending is very important. So um, is it her being sarcastic? Is she saying that, uh, is she, is she saying this in a man to please him, but secretly she's trying to also with her sarcasm to say the opposite or has she at last been, um, has she at last, has she at last been, broken down so it could be seen mm. i mean instead i i think it's a very tragic monologue to give and i don't think that um again it's not shakespeare's opinion it can't i don't think so there are too many strong female characters he writes about mm. and it's the, the you see the scene is too vile it, it's very disturbing the way they're treating the woman yeah and this is the 1590s now things are changing things are really changing he's parroting what ha- what might have been okay only 10 years before this is a critical change in society now so i think he's yeah, I, if she believes it or not is um is complex to know right now but it's definitely supposed to be not okay what she's saying that's the thing mm-hmm. i definitely think that what do you guys think i want to add just a little bit more depth to this because we know in shakespearean time women did not play the women characters. The mm. female characters were played by men. Mm. Yes. So I'm wondering how that would appear if a man were the one saying this, dressed well, as for, a woman. Unfortunately, it's, it's they're mad and they're mad and the men are talking to men. So um, it is very disturbing if it isn't. It? So mm. is Shakespeare really such a feminist guy? Or it's hard to know. It gets confusing. You know, for example, even that induction, you've got a man then acting as acting as a man who is acting as a woman, you know. Yes, and, even uh, <laughs> I got confused just now when we're talking about. I, I remembered also um, there being women there, yeah. So yeah, it is very confusing. It's hard to now remember. talking about the ending. I, I, of course, it's it's not great if you see it uh, like done seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that bad compared to like at Petruccio's house. That's where I felt really dirty yeah. and really bad. And by the time we got here, it's just like, 
All right. I'll, because, I'll take it. Because at Patricia's house, you kind of feel like she's almost imprisoned. Whereas at least, at least yeah. in this final scene, they're out and about again. And that takes I away basically that, that stress. imagine a dungeon yeah. at his house. Like yeah. a dirty, like Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events, like Count Olaf's house is what I imagine. Yeah, more, more, more or less. Whereas at least in that last scene, they're out at a, you know at a gathering with the rest of the the guys, and I just I, I feel less dread. Whereas when they're in the house, I kind of feel scared for her, you know. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. So I think it is um, quite quite disturbing, actually. But yeah, that it is a great it's, it's greatly written and it's very dramatic. The ending. Yet, uh, as a, we are supposed to question it now. I think as a modern reader, it's hard to know exactly what was going on in Elizabethan time. I would recommend anyone who's writing on this play to really look and study society at that time. Yeah, I mean, having so a bit of context for society, society always helps. 1590s. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And so that's coming at it from the modern perspective. We haven't really been doing it from the perspective of that time period. And that is going to be something probably very important for uh, if you write about this play. So that's something to keep in mind. So, yeah. So, again, is it or is it perhaps on the opposite where we're saying, is it every yeah. sexist play? Is it, a, is it supposed to be we have to control the woman because women at that time were getting more power and starting to question things? So is this a Shakespeare perhaps not expressing his ideas, but writing for that particular market of men who want to control women? Um, is this is this a play just for men? Is to be a, fair and a... to give him his, his credit, you know, it is a relatively early play, right? You know, we have obviously hmm. the, starting off with the Henrys, you know, and then once we get beyond those, we're looking at the likes of the Comedy of Errors, which we I can't I think we agree it is better than this one. But you know, the Comedy yeah. of Errors, Tilling of the Shrew, maybe they're just you know, still finding a speak with those first couple. You know, I, I I don't think that's strong enough of an argument, though. That's the thing because. It might have been written early on. It is one of the earlier plays, probably, but it's difficult to know with Shakespeare. And with Shakespeare plays, he wrote so many that it's very difficult for me to understand why did he write Taming the Shrew, and then soon afterwards he would write something well, like Romeo yeah. and Juliet. What? Well, what? You know, how can a man change so radically? I mean, maybe, but I find that it's also very important to remember that he was writing for money. This is a job back then. It wasn't thinking about. Shakespeare probably wasn't thinking about I'm going to win the Nobel Prize or something like that because it was a Nobel Prize and he wasn't thinking about yeah. art for art's sake. He was thinking about for, for this is his business. You know. I so, see yeah. at the time it was probably meant to be a satire. Like probably. that's what yeah. I honestly believe. However, doing parts of this as a satire are going to be very difficult. Um, like the stuff at Petruccio's house, I don't know how you're going to be satirical about that. A better director be... than me might be able to do it. <laughs> it's going to but... be tough enough, I think, yeah. But I think I think this, looking at this as a satire is the only way you can look at it, you know, yeah. sans disgust, <laughs> I think. You know. so, yeah. so let's just talk about the themes that uh, that students will have to work on because it's it's really, it's all about money, right? And it's about, it's about um, as, as you're saying, Alex, class, society, and the gender gender politics between what how it really gives it insights even if it's a farce into how women were treated back then so it's very historically important mm-hmm. and um how women might have fought back but lost that's very important to remember if they lost they definitely lost they, they lost that's the important point of the play 
And I think Shakespeare might be secretly, deep down, he might be very sad about it in the end, even though this play is 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 on the surface very much a sexist play. Mm. Mm. When the first time you guys read this, you know, were you also shocked by the ending, or was that just me? Like, did you think that she yeah, was, was going to somehow yeah. overcome the odds? You know, I, I thought no. so as a modern reader. No. Yeah. And perhaps back then it was. Perhaps that back then it was the only ending to give Shakespeare. You see, it's also very important, everyone. Shakespeare might have written an ending that was, oh, well, I'm going to rebel or like I'm going to commit suicide, you know. And he eventually did, to be honest, with other plays where women would Mm. do this. But Shakespeare would often have to rewrite his plays to to please the the majority. So also see it from that perspective, see it from art as as a means to make money for his bread and for his family. Not art for art's sake. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're right. He saw this as something that he was going to put on, you know, this year. Here's the current play. And then there was, put it out of his mind. He didn't think that people were going to be talking about this a couple hundred years later, you know? This, this, yeah, uh, yeah. You have more freedom making what you want to make after you make a few successful things in the first place. So yeah, exactly, yes. this was done in 1590, 1592, something like that. Exactly. So this might have been just his first one out there. People liked it. Then they said, okay, now you have freedom to do what you want. That's um, definitely a possibility. The Taming of A Shrew was already written around that time by, um, by, by and they don't know by whom, but it was essentially satirizing Christopher Marlowe's uh, themes <laughs> and even taking some extract from uh, some, thing, some lines from the play. It was a popular story at that time. Yet I also feel I could maybe also be controversial so was Shakespeare just trying to make himself known by using either a popular story or by taking a controversial story? That could also just be the, the, the case. But also, guys, just remember the language in this play. Look at how language is being treated here from a woman's perspective, from a man's perspective, from a woman submitting to a, a man, from a man controlling a woman. Look at the wordplay. It's very, I think there's a lot to write about that when you're writing your exam. Yeah. Yeah. It's look overall. If we get past the the element of disgust, it is a fun and, and funny play in parts, especially as you mentioned, PJ, with the subplots and the other characters, with Bianca's sitters and things as well. Is, is there anything else that you want to to add, or have we pretty much covered all we were going to cover? Um, can I go ahead, Alex. I think that's about everything for me. There's yeah, one more thing, guys. Just, just yeah, please. one more thing. I think this is very <laughs> important for the for the students in the exams. Not all of you might be finding it easy to read Shakespeare. So remember, Taming of the Shrew has been adapted many times, and um, it has been adapted particularly in this first half of the century into many films that were openly sexist. But then when feminists came around, they still, when feminists came around, the play was absolutely hated and wasn't adapted much. But in the 90s onward, it's been often redone, particularly particularly the plot about um, someone wanting to date a younger sister, but the older sister is shrewish, mm-hmm. and the father doesn't want um, the younger woman to date before the older one's dated. And I do suggest to watch if these film adaptations, 10 Things I Hate About You, Deliver Us from Eva. Those are just two films um, that will help you at least understand the story. I do, I do think popular film adaptations taking the loose plot will help you get into the mood of the play that's a so very good chart it will pj and even you know mm. obviously you know you want to focus your, your your essays or whatever on the play but showing a bit of awareness and cultural awareness of other things that this is maybe actually 
influence would would do no harm as well. It actually shows more awareness. I would I wouldn't focus on it more than maybe one sentence, but it's it does exactly. no harm to reference things, you know. Exactly. You can mention it, guys, but I think also if, if you're really struggling with the language of the plot, just look into one of those two films, 10 Things I Hate About You, The Lyricism, Eva, um, just to get into the feeling of the play. All right. Cool. Oh. Well, guys, thanks, um, Alex and PJ. We have done episode 10. Um, that has been Playboys. And thanks, as always, to uh, the theme tune provided by Wiggly of Trapdoor, uh, the song Aztec versus Aztec, um, which is available on most platforms as well. And uh, guys, that's it. Have a Shakespearean day. Indeed, the same to, to, to both of you. It's been a great pleasure. <laughs> Had fun. Oh, yeah. We're all together. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.